Welcome to Grow Her Women Worth and Work, where we're sharing experiences on the real triumphs and challenges women face in the workforce and empowering women with relatable stories from some amazing everyday people. We're your hosts, Angela Priest and Jasmine Silver, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Sajel Thacker. Sajel is a passionate attorney and educator, along with the Chief Civility Officer at Train Extra and the Chief Culture Officer at Nobody Studios. In this episode, we'll explore Sajel's vision of creating a more accepting world. So Sajel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's awesome to have you on as a guest. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So Sajel, you have a really interesting background. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be in the work of civility uh, training. Yeah, so, you know, it really goes all the way back to the beginning. So I'm, I'm the daughter of immigrant, Indian immigrants um, who moved to the United States. Um, and so when I grew up, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was a, a suburb of Chicago, predominantly Italian. Uh, we were the only Indian family in that neighborhood. And so I was battling sort of incivility you know, dealing with harassment, discrimination, and bullying, and bias, being on the victim end of bias when I was growing up. Um, at the same time, I was kind of managing this duality of my Indian heritage, which was cherished inside of our house with the American culture outside. And so seeing bias in those contexts um, and the duality between my cultural identities really helped me see both civility and bias from different perspectives. And, and you know, I, there was a lot of adversity and incivility that I dealt with when I was growing up, but I always had a passion for social justice. And so I kind of just threw myself into higher education. I knew I was gonna to go to law school where hopefully I can make a difference. Um, and so when I, when I graduated law school, I started practicing employment law. And that's where I got to see civility from a whole different, and bias from a whole different perspective. And I realized that there was more that I could do rather than being a litigator when it, really it's too late to help anybody that, you know, I felt that education was, was an area that I wanted to focus on. And so having seen bias from both sides, I now do workshops. I started my own business in 2017, where now I offer workshops of civility of unconscious bias to really, you know, kind of like the work that you're doing, Angela, working with organizations proactively to help create better cultures so that we can address those issues before it becomes, you know, really, really harmful to everybody involved. Yeah. So you're really looking at how do we address it at the root versus how do we address it after it's already had the impact? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the companies that I was working with, you know, they were so focused in on providing training for, you know, let's defend lawsuits. So let's provide the anti-harassment training or let's just check a box, you know, and, and they were never talking about unconscious bias. They weren't talking about civility. And so a lot of the things that led to these lawsuits were because we weren't properly, you know, educating people on what these topics were about. And so when I saw these lawsuits, I, and I was working with management, you know, I found myself really educating them all the time about how to do things and what they should and shouldn't have done. And I realized that we could really make a bigger impact if we focus on it proactively than waiting till the damage is already done and then putting band-aids on it, you know, which I'm sure both of you see all the time. That doesn't really solve the issue at all. If anything, it makes it worse because then you're allowing the behaviors that, you know, we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about this as we get on with some of this, uh, the, the more into, deeper into this topic, but things like microaggressions, 
you know, you just weren't addressing these behaviors when they were starting to happen. So now you end up in these environments where the culture gets to be toxic, right? And so it's it's a lot harder to go back in later on and clean it up versus doing it right from the beginning. Yeah, and I think part of what you're talking about is, you know, there's this gray area of behavior and it really relies so much on individual behavior and judgment in order to affect change. And because it's so gray and there there's these elements that enter into it around, you know, well, how far did it go? Perception plays in, like how did somebody perceive what was said? And it's kind of this idea of perception of intent versus actual intent. And it gets really, really gray and can get really, really hairy. So if you're waiting until it for a court to tell you what was right or wrong, it's it's just going to be bad for everybody all around. Yeah. And no, and, and I'll just add, because the, the things that make it to court are only the illegal behaviors, right? But the big gap is that there's a lot of behaviors that are short of illegal behaviors that like your rude behaviors or your insensitive behaviors, your abusive conduct, your microaggressions that happen more frequently then your illegal behaviors. So if you're just waiting for that behavior to rise to the point of being illegal, it's too late. And so you're not even addressing with a lot of organizations all these other behaviors that are happening more frequently that are actually causing more harm to your organization because people just don't know what to do, you know? And and that was one of the first, like, first key turning points in my career was when I was working with these managers and, and you know, here I was thinking that I was going to be dealing with these people that were like bad people, you know, like malicious people. And I say this all the time that were out to get other people, but they weren't, you know, they were actually well-intentioned people just trying to do their best, but they've been engaging in these behaviors unconsciously, not knowing that it's stemming for their stereotypes or preconceived notions. And that behavior has gone on so long that now it looks like intentional discrimination when had we had dealt with that from properly from the beginning, then it would have never continued on, right? And so a lot of the workshops that I do around civility and unconscious bias is I say, we want to disrupt that cycle of behavior earlier and not let not wait till it gets to be illegal behaviors, right? And that was so frustrating to me. Like, for example, you're, you know, the anti-harassment I could talk to you about this for days, right? Just get me going. <laughs> I mean, your, your anti-harassment trainings, right? So these organizations are offering this, you know, twice, once a year or once every two years to their supervisors and non-managers, but that only covers sexual harassment and discrimination. But what about all the other types of harassment? What about all the other kinds of discrimination? What about abusive kind of bullying, you know? And so there were so many gaps in what I saw organizations were doing. And they were spending a lot of money you know, on this, but it was just not effective because it didn't take into account, in my opinion, some of the real, the topics that you and I are going to talk about today. It's some of the important stuff like unconscious bias. Like that was something that wasn't until that, you know, that Starbucks case came out where now the Starbucks shut down all of their stores after they had an incident with two African-Americans. That was the first time we started hearing for the most part about unconscious bias. Until then, we heard about it in the education environment you know, in, in some of the schools, you know, I worked at UCSF and we talked about it there, but in the private sector, in the startups, you weren't hearing about unconscious bias. You know, a lot of places you still don't, right? So. Yeah. And I think a part of it is it's just, it, it's in the title, right? It's hard to see. So unless you have somebody who has 
who who can see that. And I think part of um, the challenges around representation, because if you don't have anybody who does not share your bias in your organization, there's nobody there to point it out to you. Um, and, and that makes it even more challenging and that's why representation can be a really important topic, um, because without it, you can't see your blind spots. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing, right? Civility is the foundation for where diversity and inclusion can thrive. Like that's, that's why I start there, right? Because if you can't even get to the point of being able to value each other and be able to engage with people who are different than you and who may have different perspectives, that's going to stifle innovation and growth just right there. But then when we talk about it and go deeper into where you're going is in the context of women's representation, right? A lack of incivility, I mean, that's that's going to perpetuate gender bias. That's going to reinforce stereotypes. And so, when, again, going back to when you have individuals that don't know how to engage with each other or, or how to rely, how to get past their preconceived notions, right? How do you, because un, unconscious bias are, are, are just simple judgments that our brain, automatic assumptions your brain makes because of partly your hardwiring, partly because of your lived experiences. They're not harmful, they're normal, right? So it's about normalizing that conversation and it's, it's only harmful when you don't know about it. So if you've got preconceived notions about the skills and abilities of women, if we're talking about women, right, for example, then that's going to lead to marginalizing women and their contributions. So not only is it going to hamper their ability to, to advance in the organization, but also going to undermine their ability to get into these leadership roles. And we haven't even talked about how if we don't deal, especially again, talking about it in the context of women's representation, this concept of if there's a lack of civility, that's going to lead to perpetuation of microaggressions, right? So if we don't, if these microaggressions don't get addressed, like we just said, it's going to create a toxic environment for women. And that's going to slowly, we see this happening all the time, chip away at their confidence, their sense of belonging. Pretty soon they stop voicing their opinions, right? We can apply this concept, what I'm talking about right now, to not only women of all marginalized groups, and they, they stop voicing their opinion. They stop, uh, stop sharing their perspective. And they're not going to go after those leadership roles because, they're like, why, why bother? Why am I going to yeah. climb this mountain? Because it doesn't, it's it's too big, you know? And so now you see all these talented women that are starting their own companies because they're like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to put myself in these environments. So we have to do the opposite. Let's prioritize civility, right? So that way we are more likely to create that inclusive environment where people's voices can be heard, where people can be acknowledged. And that's going to promote gender equality. That's going to, you know, um, allow organizations to be able to recruit from broader talent pools, right? That's going to just all the all the benefits that come along with diversity come when you prioritize civility, right? So. Yeah, and I think you spoke to a really important point around how how the how a lack of civility kind of limits representation, um, in that it it creates an environment where people don't want to be part of those spaces. And because it it impacts the way that they behave in different spaces. And I think so part of it is is kind of how we respond to that lack of civility. Mm -hmm. But the other part is how the the perceptions that are generated about us in the way that we respond. So if I'm stepping back or being more quiet in the room, I become a non-contributor. Um, right. So it's it's the barrier that goes both ways. It's the barrier that is self-imposed, but it's also the barrier that is mm -hmm. imposed because as a result of that behavior. So it's like a, 
a self-reinforcing cycle that just gets right. bigger and then you don't see people in those positions and it just reinforces the problem. Right. So what do you think are the biggest barriers to changing kind of this prioritization? Because I know I, I've got to imagine if you if you go to certain companies and say, hey, we've got to prioritize civility, they go, what are you talking about? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, um, having yeah. been in some of those rooms. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I was um, going to ask how much of your work is simply just educating people that this is happening and therefore a change needs to be made. No, great questions. And, 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 you know, the biggest barrier is, you know, unconscious bias, right? The, the, the thing is, and, and when I, when I started learning about unconscious bias, it was way into my legal career. And I was really frustrated about that because I'm like, how is this possible that I have been working on cases, litigating cases, defending people, you know, engaging in behaviors where my unconscious bias could have impacted the way that I've done my work or how I interact with these people. And I wasn't taught this stuff before. Right. And so unconscious bias is a huge barrier because if we've got these ingrained automatic assumptions that we're making about people, that's going to impact how we perceive that person, how we interact with that person. And if we don't, if we're not, if we don't know about it, and it goes unchecked, then that could lead to that intentional discrimination or unintentional discrimination. So like you said, you know, in education and raising awareness on it is a huge, huge part of overcoming that barrier. You know, that's one of the reasons why I did my first TEDx talk. It was like, when I would do these workshops and I would say the word bias, I could feel that disconnect with people. And they're like, I don't have any bias. I'm a good person. And I'm like, it's not about you being a good person or a bad person. It's, it's a part of just how our brain processes that information, right? So unconscious bias is one of the biggest barriers, in my opinion, of achieving, let's say, for example, gender equality um, or civility. Um, I also think another barrier is just, you know, resistance to change. You know, we are creatures of habit. And when we're telling people we want civility at work and they don't understand what civility is and we're asking them to embrace it or embrace diversity, you know, there's resistance there. There's fear. And they, the fear could be for a lot of different reasons, right? Fear could be fear of the unknown. What what if I, you know, I don't know where this person's culture is. And so that's scary for me. I feel more comfortable around people who are like me, who think like me, who have similar lived experiences. There's fear also of um, losing privilege. You know, I've heard that a lot. You know, I'm going to lose my privilege if I give up this seat, you know, to somebody else. If I give this seat to a woman you know, or a person of color, you know, that somehow I'm going to lose my privilege or the advantages that I should be afforded because it's my hard work. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, uh, there's a fear of repercussions, right? That if I speak up for gender equality or I speak against incivility or bias or discriminatory behavior in the workplace that, that I'm going to be retaliated against, right? Last I checked, retaliation was still the number one complaint being filed across the nation. So there's a real fear of backlash again for people, you know, that's going to discourage them for advocating for change. Um, and then I guess, Angela, just going back again to what you said earlier, you know, two things. Um, one is the lack of representation, you know, the absence of women in and other marginalized groups um, at all le levels of the organization, right? Especially we all agree in leadership, but I think it should be at all levels of the organization because, you know, if I'm a if I'm a person of color, if I'm a woman. And I don't see anybody that looks like me in those positions. I'm not going to really be inspired to want to pursue those positions, right? So, um, and then the last thing, I, I, you know, obviously another huge one 
is uh, you know structural inequities, right? And this is where I think you know the work that the two of you are doing is is really important. It is systemic, looking at systemic and structural inequities that are deeply embedded in the organization, and and you know result in like unequal pay or limited access or to leadership, you know, hiring and promotion practices, all that stuff. These are barriers, and we can't ignore you know, that that's out there. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, and I think to overcome these, and we can talk about like what companies can do, what people can do, but it really does require a multifaceted approach. It's not like Angela, you just posted about this on LinkedIn, right? Like about, <laughs> it's not just a one size fits all. And it, it requires a tailored uh, approach with, that requires both individual and organizational commitment and change, right? And awareness. So this is where I think the work that both of you are doing could be really helpful as well. Yeah, I think like one of the the big themes I see there is, it, first off, it's hard to talk about these things out of fear, whatever that, that reason for the fear is. But in order to change them, we have to have transparency. And you know, we have to have transparency to what's actually happening and we have to normalize that, you know what, some of these things, they're just absolutely normal. It's not a judgment on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. So this was around the time of the the George Floyd protests. Um, and I, I think I've shared this with you, Sajal, that I am actually biracial passing as white. And so um, a lot of times I'll have it, for better or for worse, folks who come to me and treat me like a safe space because I look like them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means I get exposed to some really heinous things, but other times it means I get to have these really constructive conversations with people about it. And I had a colleague of mine who wanted to understand during that time period, he grew up in the deep South. Um, mm-hmm. White guy grew up in the deep South, not a lot of diversity in his area. And he said, I don't have anybody to ask about this, but because he trusted me and he knew I wasn't going to judge him, it opened the space for that conversation to happen. Um, And, and don't get me wrong. It was hard to have that conversation because you hear some of the biases coming out and you go, Oh, this is really hard for me to hear. I have an emotional response to it. But if I just kind of keep those those emotions in check for a minute i actually might be able to change this person's thinking but that that emotional response it's not it's also natural and normal and and so if we give people space to be human and give people space to make the mistake and learn from it as with anything that's where the real change occurs but there has to be that safety on both sides um, to make the mistake and to learn Absolutely. I, I think, you know, that that um, the ability to be able to listen to each other actively, right, and, and that's just more than nodding your head, you know, but really, really listen actively to the experiences and perspectives of other people, especially those from marginalized groups becomes really important in overcoming barriers, practicing empathy, right, to really understand the challenges that other groups face and the impact of the systemic barriers, right? And 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 that's what you're what you're talking about is creating those spaces. I remember saying right around that time that I was feeling like a therapist. I really was just creating these spaces for people to be able to talk, to do that self-reflection, to examine their own biases and their own assumptions, to to be able to engage in that self-reflection, to understand that hey, you know, while this seems normal to me, 
you know, that my actions are normal to me, that they could be, my actions and my attitudes could be contributing to harm to somebody else and perpetuating these barriers, even though I don't see anything wrong with it, right? And so I think the other part too is like, you know, now we have education at our fingertips. So it's really up to each one of us to, to do that work, you know, to read books and, you know, to join groups like that inclusive leadership in a virtual world where, you could you could find those spaces. You could seek those spaces out, you know, and, and you could do it virtually, even if you don't have something available to you in your geographic. You know, you're not limited anymore in that way where you can jump into these groups. We, in those weekly groups, we have people signing in from all the different states, you know, some from other countries. But we can expose ourselves to other people's views. And, and you know, I, I think the point that I really want to make about all the barriers that we talked about you know, is that up until very recently, and I would say probably, you know, just when the George Floyd stuff and, and, and how that, because that rooted out all the prejudice and it brought all the biases to the forefront. I think this whole thing of recognizing that we need to speak up more, you know, so when you, when you witness incivility or you witness bias or discrimination, like we have to empower people with the right strategies and the tools so they speak up in the right way. Right, so that they can use their voice to advocate for change rather than and create awareness. And 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 it's really it's the bystander's responsibility, not the person who's being harmed. And so we need more allies, you know, we need more people to step up and to use their privileges to amplify the voices of marginalized individuals. Like whenever I do a podcast like this, afterwards I always reach out and say, Hey, are you looking for other guests? You know, and I always look for opportunities to plug in different marginalized groups into these podcasts, into these speaking opportunities as often as I can, because we need to get more of those voices heard and amplified. And there's been times where I've even decentered myself and said, you know what, I'm going to step back here. Why don't you take this? Because I think your voice and your story are going to be more impactful in this group. Right. So we can be allies for each other. You know, and, I, and I just if we're talking about women representation, you know, this whole notion of, and I know why I've, I've been in these environments, you know, in the law firm settings where women are just like being so competitive with each other because there's one seat, you know, there's one partner seat open. And I mean, that was never my vibe, you know, like I, I, I'm not competing against anybody else. Like it's just, it's fine, you know? Uh, but, but the thing is that whole scarcity mindset is really what gets a lot of us women turning against each other. And the good news is we don't need to do that. You know, there's plenty of opportunity I'm always looking for ways for supporting other women. I know Angela, you are too. And you know, it, it's it's we can't we don't need to stay victims of that old school mindset. We can take on a different approach. Um, and and so yeah, so from an individual perspective, I think there's a lot we can do for companies. I think you know I'll just end with this, and then if, if I know we're at time, but leadership buy-in is essential, right, for driving change on on this on this issue of, of gender equality, especially if we're sticking to that topic leaders when they say one thing and they do and their actions don't match up with what they're saying it just falls flat it's not going to work we need leadership commitment we need them to to walk their talk right to have a comprehensive training to offer you know make sure their policies are inclusive to have diverse representation to create those spaces and there has to be accountability right so i'm out there encouraging organizations to make civility a separate core value, right? Define it, put your commitment behind it, put the resources behind it. It's separate than diversity and inclusion. Those are separate core values, but I'm encouraging all organizations to make civility a separate core value 
for all the reasons we've talked about and make that the foundation upon which diversity, inclusion and everything else can thrive. Yeah. I, and I think that you you make a really, really important point, Sejal, because when leaders don't kind of walk the talk, you don't trust it. <laughs> and if you don't trust it, then that that introduces all of the barriers that we just we just talked about around creating safe spaces to actually have the conversation to say the thing that might come across badly, but you know people are going to give you the space to fail and learn. All of that is premised on trust, and it's premised on, premised on vulnerability-based trust specifically. And so leaders can help with that by following through on what they say through their actions. So with that, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, I, I, I would just say, you know, look, that it can be done. It just requires, you know, removing those barriers that we've talked about is something that can, it just takes concerted effort and a comprehensive approach, right? And so it's not a one size fits all. Um, you really need to look at all of the different barriers. And as you know, you know, that there are the barriers for each organization are different. And so really to take the time to identify the root cause of those barriers and then make that comprehensive approach can really lead to change. The good news is, is more companies are doing it. I'm working with a lot of clients who are really, you know, doing the, the program the way that it should be and really looking at those systemic barriers and making change, right? So it's not about how quickly we get there. I just want to remind everybody because I know I see a lot of stuff about it's taking too long or it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. And we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have to be humble as we do this work and give each other some grace. You know, it's not about canceling anybody, but it's really about just understanding that we're all victims of oppression, all of us, every single one of us, and that we need to do this work together to unlearn that oppression together right, and move forward. Yeah, it really is about that, that sense of togetherness. Um, so with that, that brings us to the the end of our episode of Grow Her Women Worth and Work. Thank you so much, Sejal, for taking the time to join us and sharing the brilliant work you're doing about creating acceptance and civility, um, not only in our personal lives, but in our work communities too. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me. 